Being a CISO is like waging a never-ending chess game against players you don't know, can't see, and attack without warning. On this podcast, cybersecurity experts have a pragmatic dialogue on cyber risk, current attacks, and security trends. Welcome to the CISO's Gambit. Hello and welcome to the CISO's Gambit. Today, I'm excited to be joined by Brad Moldenhauer, Vice President within the CISO team. Today, he's going to provide his perspective on the April 2022 phishing report published by Zscaler's Threat Labs team. Brad, it's always great to have you back on the show. Thank you for making the time. Yeah, yeah. Looking forward to the dialogue, Sean. So the report came out in April, and uh, while reading through it, one of the things that really stood out, and uh, speaking with one of our colleagues, uh, Christopher, was this incredible growth of phishing attacks, not simply within the United States, but in other countries such as Singapore and the Russian Federation. It appears that it might be directly or indirectly related by the proliferation of phishing kits. In, in your experience and, and from your research, is that a true statement? Is that uh, a little oversimplified or is the truth somewhere in the middle? Maybe these have been around for a while, but the, the whole phishing as a service you know, industry, uh, I think has probably been alive and well for quite some time, but not not really hearing that term as much as I think that we probably should have. But you know, when you take a look at um, you know, the most targeted areas, a lot of these make sense, right? I mean, obviously, the Russian Federation, there's been a lot going on there <laughs> this year. But the Singapore one, for instance, that you mentioned, that's an interesting one. Because think about what's going on with Singapore right now, right? You know, a lot of organizations that, you know, have Asia-Pac operations, uh, especially in um, China, uh, you know, previously they would, uh, you know, set up data centers or look for, um, you know, co-location facilities in the Hong Kong area. Well, Hong Kong is slowly but surely being re-engulfed by the PRC. So now Singapore becomes a desirable uh, destination for a lot of mail servers and uh, just business operation uh, IT environments, uh, you know, in, in the form of colos and maybe uh, public data centers there. So I'm not surprised to see Singapore up there as one of the more targeted countries, right? Kind of makes sense. Yeah, whenever we start seeing a lot of this political turmoil, really in any country, I know we saw it too here during the last few elections where you start seeing increases of attempted attacks or successful attacks. It's It makes sense that it would be, if not necessarily causal, certainly correlated. Yeah, now, with, yeah, within the report, there was uh, an entire section that the team has dedicated towards describing what they call the 21 common types of phishing attacks. To me, it was fascinating to see it broken down to that level. What I am curious about, in your opinion and, and from your experience, what are some of the, the newer techniques or uh, things that you've run across that makes you kind of scratch your head and go, oh, that's kind of interesting as a vector to uh, either attempt to impersonate a brand uh, or simply as a way to get further along the social engineering attack chain to really get that individual on the other end, that's the victim, to really click that link, install that software, and become uh, the infected or ultimate target. 
Yeah. So, so the one that I think um, has really kind of been taken off a lot, and I mean, I, I figured it would be highlighted in this report, which it is, is what we call the BitBee attacks, right? The browser in the browser one where, you know, you display that malicious browser window within a browser window <laughs> imitating a legitimate domain. And what attackers are doing is they're replicating a pop-up login window that is very common, I think, that we see with, you know, third-party authentication providers like, uh, you know, Google and, and Facebook and, and Apple and Microsoft, where you could just kind of, you know, piggyback on the whole single sign-on piece. That right there, um, that's the one that I, I would be most concerned about. Um, and there's a couple of different things that I think that we're, we're seeing to, you know, help prevent that. One is, you know, really identifying what that domain is. But, you know, when those windows pop up, think about it. You don't really see the URL bar too much in those. And if somebody, you know, takes the bait on one of those and like, oh, you know what? Yeah, this is a new service. I got to authenticate. You know what? I'm just going to go ahead and share my Google account with this. <laughs> I mean, those are the ones I think that, um, you know, are definitely something that are, are very concerning. Some of the other ones that are in here, I mean, I was taking a look through these and yeah, I mean, I've experienced these to, to some extent in one form or another. I mean, I think the, the whaling attacks are still um, prevalent. Um, uh, you know, I'm seeing a lot of activity though, that organizations are doing now to, to help prevent these. I mean, a lot of the big email security, uh, gateway vendors now have the, uh, impersonation protection in place, but you know, hey, look, it's it's difficult if, um, you know, you're looking for um, just similar names based upon your executives um, coming from, uh, you know, basic webmail domains. I mean, because, you know, there is that risk that, hey, there could be legitimate communication. You might, hey, Bob Brown might be your CEO, but, you know, Bob Brown might also be a candidate for a, a, a senior director position. And now you're blocking his Gmail transmissions to your HR teams, right? So, yeah, there's, there's some pretty interesting phenomena going on there as well that I and, and again I, I just want to say that I think that these you know these um these gangs that are out there they have the user experience completely dialed in I mean you know phishing they they know what's how to get our end users to click right I mean it's just phenomenal they should work in marketing instead go straight <laughs> well, they're, they're incredibly efficient at this right there, yeah it feels like there's a film a story in there somehow you know cyber yeah. criminal decides to leave the the evil life behind and goes to the good side right. yeah. yeah it becomes a marketing executive <laughs> now um on that front you know a, a friend of mine shortly after he started at the company he's at uh received one of those very specific SMS-based fishes, right? Or, oh, yeah. You know, the, the whole smishing attacks. And uh, it was very much along the lines of what you just mentioned, which is, hey, it's me, your CEO. How are things? I need mm -hmm. you to please click here because I need you to help me get this high-priority thing done. And uh, it was one of those things where the first reaction he said was, oh man, did I do something wrong or what's going on? Because he was new to the company. But fortunately, he went and he checked with his colleagues uh, across the security team. And sure enough, they're like, nope, we've been getting a lot of these. This is uh, completely uh, targeted and they're basically sitting right. there trying to get whomever they possibly can. Now, in the actual report itself, one thing that was also called out was 
you know, you're, co- you're constantly seeing these, these dips and these massive spikes across different verticals. And one that uh, was interesting was the amount of healthcare related reductions that we're seeing. Now, from one side of it, you could say, well, maybe they're just becoming more effective at prevention, at uh, user awareness, education, perhaps technical controls. From the other side, you could look at it and just say, well, have some of these organizations stopped reporting or are they categorizing these things in some other way? From what you've observed or what you've seen, uh, or even talking amongst peer groups, any idea what might have caused this? I know the report speculates on some of it as well, but I was just curious from your point of view. Well, yeah, it's, it's interesting. So, um, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't know if it's so much, Hey, you know what? Um, you know, healthcare organizations are going to be great, uh, fishing targets because the breadth and depth of the information that they have available that we could exploit could lead to medical insurance fraud or, you know, um, the selling of protected health information. I don't know if it's so much that as much as it might be, Hey, you know, we've had a lot of success in this industry vertical. And you know what? We can get that initial foothold and now serve as almost an initial access broker to these organizations. And then the people who are really interested in, you know, maybe kind of taking that threat or that beachhead to the next level and then monetizing some of the data available through that initial access uh, broker. I, I, I tend to think it's probably more of that. And I don't know huh. what the report actually says on that, but I, I just because I, that, that's something I've been following now for um, uh, the last year pretty closely is just the easy entry that these initial access brokers really provide to the legitimate malicious gangs out there that really kind of want to manifest the threat all the way to the end, right? And then monetize it. Yeah. I, and that's an interesting point of view, Brad, and one that makes a lot of sense where perhaps the efficacy of the attacks is so high that they don't need to continue to go after right. it. <laughs> Yeah. Right. They just, it's like batting, batting a thousand over here. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. I just, yeah. I I just, I I don't know if it really is the whole point of, Hey, you know, uh, healthcare seems like a great target. I think it's more of, Hey, you know what, let's just see how many, um, you know, of these uh, different organizations that we can actually get that foothold in. And then let's see if we can monetize that. seems easier, right? (laughs) Yeah, definitely. If you can just basically resell it, like uh, leasing out computers for for hire, et cetera. In this case, though, it's being pivoted or are you being used as a pivot point internally to that organization or elsewhere. Oh, absolutely. And the other thing I think that would be interesting, and I don't know the answer to this, but is healthcare maybe a vertical that seems to... Um, put more stock into what they consider safe domains and trusted platforms, right? It's almost like, well... Yeah. Um, yeah. You know what I mean? I, I have no data to support this, but, you know, maybe that's the thought. It's like from the vantage point of the attacker, it's like, oh, yeah, we regularly see where these guys aren't doing any kind of filtering of anything that comes from a certain domain just because they have a business subscription to it. You know, <laughs> they're they're not doing any kind of scanning or any kind of inspection on any kind of transactions that are originating from what these trusted platforms. And I think we, that's a very dangerous proposition. I mean, you got to look no further than, you know, SolarWinds, Kaiseya, and everything that's happened with Microsoft to know that trust is the attack surface, right? So, so Brad, you bring up a really interesting point. And I remember shortly after I joined the team here, you 
uh, gave me some interesting perspectives on that very uh, that very topic, which was uh, the traditional methods of effectively allow listing something or deny listing something and saying this is acceptable, this is not acceptable. And obviously the implications that come with that, specifically when you're talking about policy exclusion in the context of, hey, uh, I need to really make sure that this gets scanned uh, if it's these particular file types from these particular type of sites. And one of the things I remember you sharing with me is like, dude, scan all of it. <laughs> like, like, what's the point? It's like, you're not getting the benefit if you're just trying to guess where the threat might come from. Right. Yeah. Now, is that something you would say across the board for security teams that should be looked at in terms of the way that they've traditionally categorized, whether it's destinations that are SaaS based or web based, and perhaps that they can rethink that from a design perspective and ask the question, am I still looking at this from a, oh, these are good sites and good locations and these are all bad it's much more nuanced than that. Yes. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the, and, and you know, one of the, uh, the attacks that I was glad to see called out. Um, and uh, by the way, it might be a new name. I mean, I hadn't seen it referred to as this, but it was something that the, uh, the report referenced as doc clouding, you know, the phishing attacks that deliver malicious documents and payloads from common cloud sources like Google drive box, GitHub, Amazon S3 buckets, and OneDrive. You know, I, I think that, that's one of the big recommendations I have for a lot of customers when, you know, we're doing independent assessments of how they're, you know, leveraging and implementing and operationalizing, uh, you know, our, our specific platform is, hey, guys, you may be taking on a lot of unintended risk by by saying, hey, well, you know, we, we pay these guys an annual subscription. We're just going to, you know, trust everything that that comes from them or and and goes to them. I mean, because now. I mean, you're really accepting all the risk associated with compromise and data loss, right? So that's a very dangerous proposition. And yeah, when, when we have that dialogue with customers, um, I, I, I'd like to think that a lot of them really take that seriously, see the actual risk there, and then treat it as appropriately. So one of the most common methods towards addressing phishing attacks has always been the human factor since at the heart, the majority of phishing attacks uh, by nature are going to be social engineering attacks. Mm -hmm. For the longest time, it was said, hey, this is really the number one control where you should really focus user awareness training, ensure that everybody has a good understanding of what's fake and what isn't, look for misspellings. But one of the things I thought I heard you say a little bit earlier is that the bad actors have dialed in the ones that are pro level, right? They have right. dialed in so much of the lookalike sites or even naming, et cetera, that it's really difficult for an end user who may or may not know, Hey, let me go check the certificate listing and see if the chain is intact or if it's even tied to a, a root CA that's, appropriate for the site that I'm trying to access, these kinds of things that would not be realistic to expect somebody to do. Is that yeah. still the, the, the prevalent method and number one approach towards preventing some of these attacks or have we moved beyond that? Because to me, it feels like the bad actors have. <laughs> Are we still trying to, to, to address something that was 
the hotness five years ago. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I think yeah. And by yeah. we, and, and by we, I mean an industry, right? We yeah, as an industry yeah. as a whole. Yeah, I mean, I, I still think that heightening end user vigilance and awareness to phishing attacks is still incredibly important, and I, I, I definitely think there's a there's a lot of credence with, with with doing that. You said something there that that I think is incredibly important. I mean. Look, users need to click on things to get their jobs done, right? If the user clicks on, you know, a link from a known sender and there was nothing in that message body to suggest that it was not from that known sender, I mean, how is that the user's fault, right? I consider that a technology failure. So we need to be doing things um, as an industry to really solve that problem. And some of the things that I like that I'm seeing uh, that are coming out, um, You know, for instance, I mean, one of the things that we're working on is uh, what I would call smart isolation, right? Let's say that you have a compromised service like a OneDrive tenant. Okay, you know, most organizations say, like, well, we're going to allow all access to OneDrive because uh, we use OneDrive, right? Well, you know, I, I think that it would be really interesting to have that go through some kind of security service that says, hey, this specific tenant... 30 minutes ago or yesterday or a week ago, its risk profile was this. Now, based upon maybe some uh, nonconformities with the certificate, as you mentioned, or maybe with the page hosted there, how many times do we see a PHP page loaded up in a compromised OneDrive tenant? You know, things like that to where the technology can make a smart decision saying, you know what, let's go and isolate this content. Let's not allow the user to input any kind of... um, credentials or anything, or let's go ahead and air gap it. So if there is some kind of download from it, we tombstone that or sandbox it or something like that. I would like to see that grow a little bit more because again, you you hit the nail on the head. I mean, you know, if it's a business email compromise and these, these look, we're, we're really stepping up our preventive game within our, you know, perimeters and our, um, you know, user identities and, and device control. So yeah, social engineering is always going to be a place where they're going to gravitate to, right? I mean, it's kind of seems to be the, the easiest entry to get that initial foothold. And again, I've, I've never been able to blame an end user in any organization I worked at for clicking on a link, right? Now, if they, you know, click on a link and then they input their, their username and password. Okay. That might be a user failure. And, you know, there's, there's things that we can do about that to, to make them more aware, but clicking on a link and then something bad happens. I think that's a technology failure. And hopefully we, we see, you know, a lot of improvements in that area. And I think the, the one area smart isolation, I think that's gonna, that's gonna really help out in that specific risk area. Yeah. Basically, if not a hundred percent sure, throw it somewhere else that you can, safely access that content, right? Right, right. Yeah, because at the same time, we're not outright blocking it because that's another thing too. I think you and I see with a lot of interesting approaches. I mean, when a lot of security personnel, you know, and the misperception of risk, it's like, hey, let's just go and block access to all of this. Well, that stymies ideation and and innovation, right? For organizations. I mean, that could potentially lead to a, a loss of market share and maybe even revenue, right? So, that that I don't think is the right approach either, but something in between that, um, yeah, that that's really where we need to get to. Yeah. Well, Brad, I appreciate you making the time coming on the show. It's always fantastic to get your insights. Anything yeah. you want to leave the audience with today? Yeah. Hey, look, I mean, phishing is still seems to be the preferred attack modality by a lot of these. Um, 
by a lot of these malicious actors out there. And I mean, as you can tell from that, um, that threat labs fission report, I mean, uh, they're, they're an equal opportunity bunch. Yeah. There could be some industries that see a little bit more, uh, activity than others, but I think everyone is fair game, even consumers out there. I, I think with the, um, the, the advances that we have in the areas of smart isolation, where we're leveraging AI and ML to really predict some of these uh, attack vectors, and then based upon things that we've seen in the past to help drive prevention of them in the future, I think that's going to be really big. And I'm, I'm looking forward to that and seeing how much it disrupts this industry. Thanks, Brad. To learn more about the Threat Labs phishing report, please visit www.zskiller.com. Brad, thanks again for your time. Yeah, thanks, Sean. You've been listening to the CISO's Gambit. I'm your host, Sean Cordero. Thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a comment and subscribe. Content on this podcast may contain forward-looking statements that are current as of the date of recording and subject to change. These statements are subject to the safe harbor provisions created by the Private Securities Litigation Reform Act of 1995. Full legal disclaimers are available at revolutionaries.zscaler.com. Copyright 2022.